Champagne Social Butterflies, the aspirational podcast for hopeless people, such as this hopeless person, your host, Donna Scott. I'm not on my own this week. Coming up at the end of the podcast is a fantastic interview with my friend, comedian Khan Johnson, so do stay tuned for that. In the meantime, how are you? I am fine. If a little bit bruised and sore, I'll get on to the why I'm bruised and sore in a bit. But oh my goodness, so what has been going on this week? COVID flipping cases are on the rise, which is a bit scary, and especially as all the kids have only just gone back to school. I hate the way the BBC are saying, oh, the, the, there's more stuff on, there's more trains now because the government is encouraging people to go back to work. We're at work, people. We're at work. We're busy. It's just that we're working from home. We're working from home very well, thank you very much. Don't try to say that we're shirking just because we're not buying them sandwiches in prep. Ridiculous. Anyway, if anyone is feeling a little bit work-deprived, the world has given you a gift, haven't they? They've given you a gift in that last week, September the 4th. Apparently there were 600 books published on one day because of all the book fairs and things that have been delayed since the start of covid that all the publishers have decided to push their books to like a pre-christmas selling optimal point you just know don't you that even though all of the awesome books are out there they're still going to be the tap pedal at you <laughs> i have my very own sundoku so if you don't know what a sundoku is it's um a japanese term which means acquiring reading materials, but letting them pile up in your home without reading them. So it's um, something that's like risen to prominence lately, but it's actually a really old word. Um, it's like from the Meiji era, which is like mid-Victorian to Edwardian times, Japanese slang, and it combines a couple of words, sunday oku, which means to pile things up ready for later, and dokusho, which is reading books. <laughs> oh, dokushoski desu. <laughs> I love reading books. <laughs> but I did have to laugh the other day because I saw somebody post on social media a bit of a complaint about Netflix because Netflix had sent the email out saying what's new on Netflix in the coming week. And it was a load of classic 80s films, you know, really good 80s films like Back to the Future series and, and Ghost and all, you know, real comfort viewing they'd got in store, uh, ready for you to stream, which is a lovely thing, isn't it? And this person I saw had complained that, oh, great. So it's basically just Back to the Future then. What am I going to watch? This is just old stuff. And another person had chimed in and said, yeah, you want to complain to Netflix? And it's like, there might be a reason why there's not an absolute plethora of new titles coming out. You might want to think about why that might be. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is the time. We, we've we got an absolute treasure trove of previous media that we've produced that we can get through. And I should probably, really, if I do find time, revisit some of the DVDs that I've got because I've got loads. And maybe start attacking my own Sundoku. Seriously, in my office, I've got all my shelves. And they're all stacked nice. And there's like shelves downstairs. And there's shelves upstairs as well. And there's a few little piles in the bathroom. But over over here, I've got my newly acquired TBR pile. It's like that scene in Ghostbusters. When Bill Murray can't quite believe that uh, somebody working in a library would be able to stack books quite neatly. <laughs> And it has to be ghosts. The thing is, you can't trust books that you find in a haunted library, can you? Because they're all done by ghost writers. Oh no, it's just a load of Katie Price novels covered in ectoplasm. Ugh. Anyway, I think we're quite lucky, really, in that what coronavirus and lockdown has done is in that we can't really get together as well as we used to to be able to produce things. EastEnders apparently is coming back, which is a big thing. <laughs> It'll be all, get out of my pub, unless you use the hand sanitizer first and sit down for table service. Or um, 
I wouldn't touch you with an eight foot barge pole, Pat, but I've got a two metre one, so we're safe. <laughs> I didn't recognise you, actor, currently playing Ben with that mask on. Right, it just shows how often I actually watch it. I know that the actor called, who plays Ben is frequently changed. I don't even know if, if Pat's still in it, but she is the iconic cast member of EastEnders. But no, I'm too busy. I have no time for soap at all, apart from the several times a day washing my hands for 20 seconds, which is now apparently 40 seconds, according to Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig is very muddy, though, so that's probably why it takes us longer to wash our hands, according to Peppa Pig. But I think when we're all being encouraged to be more creative at the start of lockdown, I think that stressed a lot of people out. So now that things are perhaps a little bit more settled for us mentally and we are starting to feel more comfortable with how we can live with the coronavirus restrictions in place, then maybe now is the time to start challenging yourself and getting a bit more creative. I'm doing that now. Um, So when John Wagstaff said on his post that we all should, you know, push ourselves more, take risks. And I thought there's some risks I'm not going to be taking, but how can I take risks? How can I push myself? How can I leave my comfort zone? And I've decided to do a lot more of these live gigs and they are sometimes a bit weird. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I was gigging in New Zealand last week and only two audience members came along to watch and they were both come to see me and one of them took a conference call in the middle <laughs> of somebody else so you know these things are, are not dilemma free i'm doing a few more to see if they're different i think one of the good things about this is that yeah you can sort of reach out and work with people who are not in your immediate geographical location so I've been working a lot with um, like creative prompts groups who are mostly based in the US, but we, there is a, a few other people in there, people from Australia, India, Scandinavia, Spain. <laughs> so a lot of us all reaching out to sort of like challenge ourselves and in our, our writing processes. That's been really interesting. And we're actually going to do a little competition at some point this month, which is going to be interesting. So I'll keep you... Uh, informed as to how I do with that Mm. so I'm finding that the challenge inspirational if not difficult to fit in with my extremely busy routine Uh, so one of the things that we've been doing this weekend is the whole brewery has been rejuvenated I've bottled my elderflower wine it was going to be champagne but let's face it I left it too long (laughs) so finally got it sorted oh my god it's delicious Oh, and we have been given a load of apples, so the cider press is out. The bath is currently full. It looks like Halloween's come early for a giant. Um, and uh, we're just getting those washed off so that we can start, you know, prepare, prepping the apples at some point today. Well, I'm not going to do it. Uh, Neil's going to do it. And I've given him the, the job of master brewer. He's my master brewer. He's going to make me some cider, so he is. Because I like the cider. That'd be me sorted for Christmas. Oh, uh, Tom and Barbara good self-sufficiently um, ideal we'll be with our home brew and our pickled plums and our homemade hams. And oh, it's going to be amazing. But, you know, I am nothing if not generous. And this is a bit of a rant, but let me just crack on with this. Oh, I've got a non-book recommendation for you. So if you attempted to go to the bookshop this week and buy a book that will help you lose weight before the end of lockdown and in time indeed for Christmas then my non-recommendation of the week non-recommendation of the week is anything by Dr Michael Mosley specifically the Fast 800 versions of his Diet Shill you know I said last week that I wasn't entirely convinced that Dr Michael Mosley wasn't a bit of a quack I'm now convinced of it. Oh, no, you're probably going to crucify me. Because a lot of you flipping love the guy, don't you? I mean, he seems really, really nice. His whole family seem really nice. He's got his doctor wife with her mean portions. And he's got his fitness guru son, who, let's face it, is not quite as bouncy and cute as Joe Wicks. 
There, I said he's cute. Can't help it. He's got hair like the flipping broccoli trees that he loves so much. But you know, we gave it a go. We gave it a go. And here is my honest review of the Fast 800. So clearly I didn't do it for two weeks. I have had to stop. And there's a flipping good reason for that. Ooh, I'm seething. Right, okay. So the idea with the Fast 800, which basically takes the two days on his other diet, the 5-2 diet, um, just says, just do that for between 2 and 12 weeks, you gullible twats. He says, do that, and, you know, I'll rake in the money. We've given him loads of money. We bought both the Fast 800 recipe book and the Fast 800 uh, guide, which, let's face it, I'm going to say you now, you don't need both of them. You don't. Because the, the 800 recipe book basically has a planner in it. I mean, it. there's reasons why the planner isn't that useful. I'll go into those. A couple of weeks ago, we watched the three-part series, How to Lose a Stone in Three Weeks, which was on Channel 4. Time, we're not going to get back. Uh, it was great, actually. It was very inspiring, hence we bought these books. But we thought, maybe we can do this. Day one, we went on a massive walk because it said you've got to keep up your exercise. And... The 800 calories that day was fine. But, um, because the food's very filling. But here's the thing. I was a bit of a disordered eater. I know kind of how these things work. You can make your plate look very full and very appetising. But you fill it with really low calorie stuff. So anybody looking at your plate will think, oh, that's a nice healthy meal. Uh, not flipping egg. How is she going to have the strength to walk six miles round Stoke Bruin? idiot and yeah we could do that that day we couldn't do anything else for the rest of the week we had no energy at all nothing at all and the the book the explainer book the guide book goes on about studies like it really layers on the idea that there's science behind this and yes to be fair there is there are about 40 uh, bibliographical notes um for an entire book now i've got to say that's not a lot it sounds like there's a lot, but some of these are, some of these are journal, uh, you know, journal articles based on studies. So different ways of rehashing the same studies. And yeah, there are a few study, study things cited, but I've had longer, I've had longer bibliographies for a 10,000 word dissertation. So, and English as well. You've got to basically back up your claims with a lot of knowledge. And let's face it, he's not a nutritionist. He's a dietitian. He's not even a dietitian. He's just a GP, isn't he? He's, he's not got the knowledge himself, but he's, like, found something that works for him and he wants to basically bring that to the world. But he's bringing that to the world at quite a profit margin, I can tell you. These things are selling so bad. Number one bestseller, it says. The ultimate guide from the creator of the 5-2. He must be rolling in it. And as he's rolling in it, it must be hurting him because it'd be all bones. Uh, and and then he's got like one here how does the med diet which is med is, is his shorthand which he never bothered you know expanding to the mediterranean diet how does the mediterranean diet compare with very low carb diets la, 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 la. basically you cut out loads of shit that's why it works and by shit i mean good things that you should be eating because they're good for you it says oh and also bad for you as well you just throw out that baby with the bath water so it says you have to avoid anything with sugar in it such as fruit juice smoothies or cake <laughs> this also includes many processed foods, takeaways and sauces. Okay, that's pretty sensible. Do that. Breads, grains, rice, pasta, oats and potatoes. Mediterranean diet. Since when does the Mediterranean diet not have flipping pasta in it? It's, that's just crazy. Most fruits, it says, starchy vegetables such as sweet potatoes, carrots and parsnips. Okay, granted, not many parsnips in the Mediterranean. Beans and legumes such as lentils, chickpeas, kidney beans and peas. That's an, you know, poor man's meat. You've got to have your beans and your peas. It's really good. For, they're good for your guts. Wine and beer. Right, okay. What kind of Italian is not drinking the wine and the beer? It says, if you drink alcohol, it's best to sp stick to spirits. We, 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 can't, we can't just live on limoncello. So that's the, the idea of the, comparing the Mediterranean diet, which they say is like, if you don't fancy getting on with, with, with this, if this isn't really working for you, try the Mediterranean diet, it says. But, oh, my life. 
So I've got to tell you about some of the shocking typos and things in uh, the recipe book. So the recipe book, to give it its due, lovely, lovely, tasty recipe is what we've tried. Right. I really, really liked things like the chilli with lots of veg on the side. The chicken tikka masala was nice. Uh, chicken tagine. Um, so many really nice things. But as a recipe book goes, lots of good ideas in there about how you can sort of like, you know, cut down your portion sizes, increase the number of veg going in your diet. So worth it from that point of view. But it's like things going wrong. Right, first of all, it says like every time, just put, put a tablespoon of oil in, in your pan. And it keeps saying things like fry your onions in olive oil. Olive oil? You don't fry things in olive oil. Olive oil has a really low smoke point. So it can actually be quite bad for you to fry things in olive oil olive oil is a lovely dressing don't fry things in olive oil this is shit this um there's also what did i have the other day I'm trying to find the recipe now oh yeah there's a plan oh right there's a planner in the back now we were trying to follow the planner because we find it easier to like have someone tell us what to do so we went on the planner with meat and fish for three meals a day and what we noticed is that a lot of the recipes are for four people. So you've either got to think, what is the maths here? I need to divide this by two. But by day three, you haven't got the brain to do the maths. So we were like going, let's just freeze a portion. And when we bought all the stuff in the first place, we filled the freezer, we filled the fridge. So we've been playing fridge Jenga for a week it's not practical and that cu cucumber got wedged against the back of the fridge and it's an old fridge it's frozen all right yeah so i've got a recipe here called shakshuka which is very nice like a kind of um huevos ranchero as, as it were the ingredients like it says one tablespoon of olive oil no as i've said then you peel and chop the onion then it says yellow pepper two garlic cloves You've got cumin, paprika, tomatoes, puree, and then four eggs, and then some scattered parsley on top. Very nice. It's one of those pan-fried dishes. You crack the eggs in, you steam them, and then you have like like these sort of like half poached tea kind of eggs running in the middle of your lovely tomato sauce. That's nice. The picture, however, shows yellow pepper and red pepper and mushrooms. So it makes the pan look nice and full. There, that those things are not in the recipe, so that's a bit pants. And then chicken tikka masala, which I mentioned, which is very nice, but I had to look at this again because you've got like it says for the masala sauce one tablespoon of coconut or rapeseed oil. There's no other mention of oil, but it says in there you bake heat the oil in a large non stick saucepan over a medium heat, and then the next step it says heat the remaining oil. In a large non-stick fry pan. So you've got you've got magic oil, and it's just it's just too much. It's just too much. <laughs> so and that happens quite a few times in the book where it mentions things that it didn't mention in the ingredients. And um, we've done our shopping list according to the ingredients as well. We had to go through two shops because flipping Morrison's didn't have any ginger or other things. Right. My experience then of being on this diet for a couple of days was that, yes, the food is nice, it's tasty, it's filling. That's too much oil, so sometimes a bit greasy. So, cut the oil out. And then, day three, I noticed something going a bit wrong. So, you need to pay attention here. One of my jobs, as you know, is that I am a hotshot editor to the stars. So, people rely on me for my keen eye and attention to detail. when I'm reading their work so that I need to make amendments on the text. Right, day three, day three, I noticed my eyesight was going. It was crazy. I do know some people who were obese, I mean, and they wore glasses every day because they had a prescription to wear those glasses. They went on this diet and then their eyesight improved. Now, that has happened. But I was thinking, why the heck are my eyes? So I looked up people's experiences of doing this diet and... Yeah, there's quite a lot of people who had said, I've lost my eyesight. My eyesight's been going. And so 
quite worryingly, some of them said it took a while for it to come back properly as well. And I also joined the Fast 800 community on Facebook and I saw a couple of times people post in their posts that they'd asked that question, what about their eyesight? And those posts have been removed. So there are people also like who know that your eyes are being affected by the diet, to, not in a good way, but in a bad way, and they're removing those posts. So yeah, do be careful if you're following any of these fasting diets because it might not actually be suited to you and just watch that, you know, you're not hurting yourself. I had a glass of wine once I finished and, and we were like death, so hungry. And then ended this four days in, had half a pasty each on the way back from the shop. And I had a glass of wine and I fell down the flipping stairs. So I am covered in bruises. My leg looks like corned beef. Yeah, so be careful. Be careful when you come off the diet as well. And happily now, my eyesight's all right. I've only got astigmatism, so I only wear uh, glasses when I'm feeling particularly tired. But <laughs> I was, like, joking around. I put two pairs of my glasses on. My lazy eye is so lazy, it only shows up on digital photographs. And I was like, raising the one pair of glasses above the other one, is this one better? This one worse. This is better? This is worse. Because it worked a lot better with just two pairs of glasses on. If worse comes to worse... I can always put on two pairs of glasses and I won't look at all stupid. But yeah, so that is my rant of the week. But right now, it's time for me to introduce to you my good friend, comedian Khan Johnson. So I am now joined by Khan Johnson, fellow comedian from the region that is known as Norfolk. Hello. Hello, um, how are you doing? Oh. Um... <laughs> We'll just, just talk over each other. It's fine. We haven't seen each other in forever, so that's that's a perfectly good excuse. Um, yeah, absolutely wonderful. Haven't haven't had a year like this ever. It's amazing. And you know, considering well, I've had a year like this. I've had a year like this last year ish, where I wasn't, I didn't move very much. <laughs> well, after July, it was like not moving very much. <laughs> I've forgotten so, that. Yeah. So these, you, you were prepared. You were trained. I know what it. I know what it's like to sort of like have to think. Well, I'll put comedy on hold for a bit because I can't really do anything or go anywhere. Um, but um, now I, I've just started like doing this kind of thing because it seems like, you know, I think even though online comedy is coming, well, the real in the flesh comedy is coming back. It's not quite as it was. How are you finding it? Uh... Well, as it is, it is coming back, but it's not as it was. I've, a wise person once said that to me. Um, <laughs> it, was it, it me just I, now? It could, it could be. Time has no meaning anymore. Um, I initially I was kind of like, okay, this is the new normal, and I'm fine with it. And then after about a week, I wasn't fine with it anymore because I realised I actually got a release from the interaction with people in that environment as a general rule i don't like people and i don't seek them out because i don't know if you've met them but <laughs> people um but in that controlled way where i'm the person holding the microphone and i'm in control of everything then i'm happy with it i love it and then i do that i do, I do quizzes and other stuff and i lost a lot and i was okay for like a fortnight and then i suddenly realized i couldn't pop to the shop and get any bread and i hadn't been the center of attention to made anyone laugh on my own terms for three weeks, two weeks, whatever it was. And that's when I started to really struggle. And I found, I've done one gig since when they started loosening everything. And I've never been so anxious before a gig before. It was horrible. And it took me about a day to come down off the adrenaline the following day. Yeah, what I found was I wasn't quite so nervous before the gig. I was a little bit hyper. Mm. Um, uh, um, but because I've done one as well, but all the next night I was in a state of panic. I couldn't sleep. No. It was like, what have I done? Why have I gone and done a gig? It, it was just playing on my mind so much. Yeah, this is, I mean, I knew the person. I knew the person hosting the gig, and I knew everything would be safe and all the rest. Yeah. Of it. But I was very anxious, anxious in the build-up because I hadn't been around that many people for so long. I hadn't been to a pub. I hadn't been to a supermarket. Maximum I'd done was the local corner shop with two other people. And that was it. So suddenly I'm in 
a relatively enclosed space, but with obviously social distancing with 30 people. And all my brain is saying is, that's a lot of people. Don't go near any people. Don't stand near them. Don't breathe. And, and they want to come near you. Time, but then, like I said, the adrenaline come down off that was huge. I didn't realise how wound up I'd been the whole day leading up to it until I came crashing down the next day. And that was fun. Uh, I think we've been kind of, I've kind of like guarded a little bit, but I've not been able to, not been able to apply for any gigs since um, because I've had no car and I, I am not, about, you know, I don't drive anyway, but um, <laughs> normally Neil is my chauffeur and an occasional uh, open spot that can come along with me. So yes. uh, two birds, one stone kind of thing. Um, so it's always been very useful. But um, if I, if I use, I, I'm, I'm not averse to getting the train and stuff and a million buses and finding the very cheap way of getting to gigs or grabbing like random lifts off people who live in the area. But I can't do that now. <laughs> I won't do that now. Well, no, this is it, isn't it? It's, you, you, I was talking to um, my therapist about this on Monday because, you know, comedy is going well, so I had to get a therapist because that just comes with the territory. Um, all the best ones have one. And she was saying that she's noticed this massive spike in mental health problems of because people have lost their coping mechanisms. And it's those little things such as you would previously have just got on a bus and not thought twice about it. And now you can't do that because you're thinking. And you can't get on a train because you're thinking and you're worried about stuff. And it's all those little things just build up and build up in your head until you just end up drinking three bottles of wine and passing out. <laughs> Probably. I heard rumours. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they just say like, um, like alcohol sales have increased by 25%. And I was like, is that all? <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I can't take all the credit, but I was doing my bit. <laughs> <laughs> ditto ditto yeah. i mean you know we all knew that the economic slump was coming so i was doing my best to invest where it would matter most so i had a, a lot of um you know scrumpy going spare from like places that couldn't sell it to people so <laughs> <laughs> i'll do my bit <laughs> oh well done you see yeah. I, cause I actually hit um I, the, the first major panic i had was in the first week or yeah, the first week of lockdown, Naked Wines and Virgin Wines both locked everything down and said deliveries were a problem. They would do the best they could, but they were very limited stock, very limited supplies and very limited deliveries. Mm. And I could get a case of wine from either of them for like a month. You weren't the only person yeah. mentioning those. And um, one of my friends said that they, that they thought that the difficulties might stem from people working at home realizing that three o'clock no it's coming around three o'clock is a whole new five o'clock <laughs> in drinking <laughs> terms oh totally i mean you have to kind of remember that occasionally your colleagues might call you <laughs> what is this it's in a mug <laughs> yes exactly is that tea well, it's the same color <laughs> I have done none of this. I, I will. I will say that. Although I have been accused of of uh, drinking during the social quizzes that we've done at work, because I'm quite partial to a pint of iron brew. <laughs> it, you know, a just pint. looks dodge. A pint of iron brew. That's a lot of iron brew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm. It's a lot cheaper to get. Actually, it's iron brew. It's not. You know. You're not. Not iron brew, but actually spelled properly, iron brew. That's why I cut back. Fifty p. Yeah. But you're not even Scottish. Neither is this. It's made in made in random from stuff. I <laughs> mean, to be fair, Irish itself is very, very random of stuff. But uh, I, I thought legally you were only allowed to drink stuff that looked like Iron Brew if you were of Scottish descendancy. What I like about going to Scotland is that it's it's just in if you if you're not drinking because you're gigging or whatever and you don't want to have a drink well, why would you not want to have a drink to Scotland, they do all the best all the best of the booze um, I know <laughs> but if you're in that position where you go well, I shall take it easy, they have fridges full of iron brew <laughs> they do, like, that's very my true. favourite, awesome 
I think the one of my favourite experiences was up in up in Edinburgh, and I did the we the whiskey museum. Yeah. I think it's on the Royal. I think it's on the Royal Mile. And I've never done a tourist attraction and walked out of it pissed. That's amazing. Um, it was brilliant. We went to a friend's wedding at um, Oran Moor, uh, which is a fantastic whiskey bar and also is a venue some, on occasion. And yeah, we the, the whiskey was, was flowing quite well and so much so that <laughs> Neil developed an allergy <laughs> and he can't <laughs> drink it now. Oh, oh, that's criminal. I know, he's very upset by it. Um, I actually, um, I confounded whiskey experts many years ago because we were staying up in Scotland and they were, they, the place we were staying put on a whiskey tasting for the guests. It just seemed rude not to turn up, frankly. And they had five whiskies they were tasting, giving you to taste and they were talking you through an ice cream. And at one end they had Glen Goyne, which is the most mellow, mild, I think it's a Bayside whiskey. It's really, really smooth, really soft, beautiful. And at the other side, they had Laphroaig. I don't know if you've had Laphroaig. It's basically like drinking a bonfire. It's like I'm the peatiest, peaty sure. whiskey you can find. And I like them both equally. I love them. And the guys who've been doing this stuff for years just looked and went, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you can't like that one and that one. It's, they're, they're, they're opposites. I said, I know, it's great, isn't it? Try a few. My, my time to usually try a few is Burns Night because I, I, I tend to get booked for a few Burns Night things. I <laughs> uh, see so you're 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 quite arty and literary and clever and stuff. So that you're you're a good fit for that. So the last time I, I did a Burns Night, I had laryngitis, so <laughs> I drank quite a lot of whiskey trying to get around it. Oh, that's that's got to be the best excuse ever, though. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm terribly sorry. I have a sore throat. <laughs> What? Still, it's been three months, Donna. <laughs> oh, it lasted. It lasted a month. That so pe people got ill from me. I was like a patient zero, <laughs> and it was just before COVID struck. So I was like, seriously, no, you've not had COVID. You've had you've had just my bugs. It's, it's not COVID. <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> so it was all a hoax. It I know I hang room. around with bats, you know, being of a sort of gothy <laughs> persuasion. But <laughs> actually, speaking speaking of bats one of the wines i was able to get hold of was through the sinful avenue of amazon and it was a romanian merlot called bat's blood merlot well that sounds nice it's beautiful and brilliantly vegan so it was just uh, long ago first first mention of the word what were you in 15 minutes in that's not bad call that a record <laughs> <laughs> you're slacking just, i know i've <laughs> Well, I was trying to shoehorn it in earlier, but I couldn't work out. Couldn't work out a way of doing it subtly. It's not a real shoehorn. It's vegan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Just neither thing. the leather was... nor the horn. <laughs> Funny thing. I was I was talking to a friend the other day, and we were talking about the banking crisis, vegan. And um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start finding new ways of adding it to conversations, just sprinkling it over words. Brilliant. Because you, cause you, you, you don't do the vegan thing, do you? You're, you're sort of one of those people who eats whatever Extremely they like. Extremely lapsed. So, um, yeah. What I, I'd like to call it, I like to call it is in, I like the idea of flexitarian. What I like to tell people is that eventually my ambition is to do, is to eat as per the Lancet diet, the 9 billion diet recommendations, which okay. is like very very little meat and uh, just m lots and lots of vegetables which is the the diet that the lancet has recommended like should the planet's population reach nine billion it's what we're all going to have to eat to make sure we are we are suitably nutritionally sustained and it's um they've, i think they've allowed people like a, a beef burger every two weeks or something it's the flexitarian thing though that really gets me because Oh no, I'm a flexitarian. I, I, I'm a vegan on Tuesdays. No, you're not. You're just not eating meat and dairy on a Tuesday. That's just normal. Mm. You, haven't gone to, you haven't gone to the bother about actually having to check what your shoes are made of. Which, by the way, is really annoying. Or going <laughs> to the trouble of checking on your shampoo and your conditioner and all the rest. Of it. Which, by the way, vegan shampoo and conditioner really stings when you get it in your eyes. They should test it on something. <laughs> 
Yes, that's, that's a joke I haven't been able to do yet. I wrote that about three months ago. Um, <laughs> the, the dogs and the cat have been fed up of me to say, is this funny? And they just look at me and go, just feed us. So, no, no, I want to try this bit first. Is it, does, you know, I put the emphasis here. Does that work? <sighs> Pass yeah. our tea time. I think this needs to be said for, for workshopping. So like I've joined, I've joined a load of Americans to see if I can basically just try it. We, we do a 10 minutes of writing a day on a theme and there's like bang yeah. out a joke, uh, which, is, which is the best thing you've written in this 10 minutes. There you go. And it's like whether or not it translates. It's, you, you think things would, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you, you can't remember, we speak a very different language to them. Yeah. <laughs> a phrase I remember years ago was uh, two common cultures separated by a common language. Yeah. And it's, like, it's, 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 it's the thing that really annoys me about Frasier. Really annoys me. Because they have a female character who's from Manchester, England. Yeah. Who apparently has been in America long enough to call them faucets, pants, and then they'll make up words like bumba shoot for umbrella. No one calls it that. Yeah. And it's just, that whole language thing, I just don't understand why the pilgrims popped over there, slaughtered half the indigenous population, and then went, do you know what, I'm fed up with calling them trousers. Yeah, I remember, like, um, there was a woman, uh, sorry, an, an actor who went for the role, that the who got Daphne, um, yeah. who, and she, uh, her name was Lisa something. Lisa Kudrow. Mm-mm-mm, British, British woman, blonde oh, hair. Right. She was in a lot of things in the 80s, just can't remember her name at the moment, but I remember her saying in an interview that she failed the audition for Frasier because she had to say the line, oh, you've caught me with my hand in the cookie jar. And she said, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> That's not a thing people say. <laughs> exactly. I think, actually, they changed that to the biscuit tin in the episode. <laughs> and it's still not a thing. But yeah, no, she, I think she did the right thing because they butchered the English language completely. Yeah, it, it, it's like, uh, like well, she's, she's argumentative. She's going to be difficult to work with, kind of thing. Yeah, this is it. They both want, want someone who's compliant. But actually, I did, a, um, I did a gig in San Diego some time ago because I've travelled. Um, it wasn't the best gig in the world, I'll be honest with you. It turned out to be I was in the final section after a whole class of comedy students were doing their passing out gig as it were their graduation gig <laughs> which tend to go on for that long that somebody does pass out <laughs> yeah exactly 30 people all starting with the opening line tell you a little bit about myself and it's like when the third person's doing it why aren't the rest of you looking at that going this is a bit repetitive i need something else but no, they all just methodically went through. But one person mentioned watching English film with subtitles on. Now, I ended up doing a five-minute bit off the top of my head just about the fact that they couldn't really understand what I was saying because I was talking proper English. <laughs> because I didn't walk on stage and do three bits of graduation material and say, tell you a bit about myself, I stormed the night. I wasn't that good, but I was better than the river else. And it's just, I don't get the use of language in America. I don't get the culture in America, to be honest, and I watch a lot of it. Yeah, and yeah, it, it, it's, just, it's all just very strange. Um, I don't tell you because me, me and uh, me, me and uh, Neil have been watching Dirty John, the ser series, and I think it's it's a really, really, really good like like a kind of true crime series. Okay. Um, about um, uh, it's very it's very difficult to watch in in lockdown. And it's like, don't you treat me like that? I would never treat you like that. No, no, no. But it just I think. It just a lot of it just tells you a lot about American culture and how different it is to British culture, and mm. the, uh, this, especially the nineteen eighties, where the second series is set, and it's like this whole kind of like trophy wife thing, which is it's kind yeah. of alien over here. Well, um, I, what worries me is that maybe it isn't. Maybe it isn't alien. It's just we live in the, the normal part of England, not in that rarefied stratosphere. <laughs> where, you know, people can't sweat and go to Pizza Express in Woking. Um, <laughs> but maybe it does exist and we're just lucky enough not to see it. And no one in TV land over here thinks it's that interesting so it doesn't appear on the telly. Whereas in America, that's the aspiration. So that becomes the thing. I mean, like, Dynasty was gloriously overblown. 
and that was aspirational television because basically everyone in America thinks they they're due to be a billionaire sometime next Tuesday. Yeah, and we tried that with um, El Dorado because <laughs> we wanted some, and it just didn't work. Oh, that was such a good show! Such a good show. <laughs> we, I, we like our soaps miserable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't care if you're out there in the sunshine having problems. You're in the sun. Go moan about it at the bar. We want to be in a laundrette bitching about the fact that our vegetables have gone off. <laughs> I mean, El Dorado was just utterly nuts. I do remember actually being a bit sad that it ended because by the time they got to the final episode, it had gone completely OTT and jumped the shark. And it was just, it was, at that point, it was the best thing on television. Both like, the, you've got the Australian soaps. They're always sunshiny. Oh. Yeah, but see, they kind of somehow, they're never miserable, but they have problems. Yeah. But they have real problems. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Jane, often that she disappeared to somewhere foreign for a bit and came back looking like someone else. <laughs> Is that playing Jane Superbrain? No? Yep, that's the one. Yep. <laughs> With the old trope, I've taken my glasses off. Oh my gosh, you're beautiful. Yeah. You're beautiful after all. I never knew. <laughs> I, that used to really annoy me. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of, I think part of it is because America's still, you've got to forget, America's still new. In global time history terms, America's still very new. They've only been kicking them out for a couple of hundred years. I mean, I know there were people there before who were quite happy being America, but the white people hadn't turned up. So, you know, we don't count that. Um, so when the white person discovered America that was already been discovered by the people who lived there, uh, it all sort of started again. And we were just kind of bored by that point. And I remember um, where I used to live in Rutland, uh, my friend lived at the other end of the village I lived in. And he lived in a house that was older than discovered America. You know, yeah. No one, no one's house in America can be as old as his was. Yeah. It still is. And I think that's unless kind of... it's Leif Erikson's. <laughs> unless you happen to be, yeah, unless you moved into a cave in Yellowstone Park. <laughs> uh, and I think part of that, part of the thing is that's kind of inbuilt in us is that we're a very old nation. So we're kind of curmudgeonly, we're grumpy. We like being pissed off about stuff. We like the fact that everything is just. Grrr. Whereas America is still young and buoyant, very much like a teenager. <laughs> They're currently going through the angry phase of wanting to shoot everything. Yeah, and they're just spotty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> and in some cases, weirdly orange. <laughs> That's real. The dogs have gone. I'm assuming someone took them for a walk. I just left and I didn't see them go. The cat's looking more relaxed. That's fine. Oh, did you see the... Um, the list of people speaking at the Republican National Con Convention. Um, right. No, I haven't seen the list, but it was, wasn't it like a lot of people that the Dem Democrats had a lot of Republicans on from about eight years yes. ago? Yes. A, lo well, a lot of, a lot of people who previously would have been against the Democrats have looked at what's going on with their own party and gone, we're going to stand over here. Yeah. Kind of new labour At a crossroads. <laughs> yeah, this is it. The, the, the Democrats are now are going to be basically new labour. And they're going to be a right-wing party with a left-wing badge. Um, but no, there was 12 people were down to talk at this at the convention. 50% of them have the surname Trump. Yeah. Now, that doesn't normally happen outside of North Korea. No. It, <sighs> is, it is weird, isn't it? That, that just have so many people who, who are just basically part of the, I mean, it's like the same family, just all talking at, that, at, at, at a, a talk. If it was the, yeah. the Tories, it would be like all the oh Johnsons. God, yeah. You'd have all the Johnsons and then all the Doms. We don't even know how many of those there are. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know there's at least one, possibly three, arguably seven. Um, I mean, it comes to something when even he doesn't know how many there are. Mm. And the bit that I'm puzzled about, and this, is, this has long bothered me, is how does a man who's... I mean, I, I'm guessing there's some charm and charisma buried in that big blubbery body that we now have to look at. But how does that man manage to persuade so many women to have unprotected sex with him? Or maybe, maybe, they, maybe it is protected, it's just... <laughs> he's just really really clumsy it came off again 
Woof. <laughs> <laughs> he probably still does that thing. Hey, look, I, I saw this in class. It's what you do. You roll on your thumb. <laughs> there it is. It's on my thumb. We're fine. <laughs> and the girl. The, the banana, there is a banana involved. The banana is here. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on the banana, put it over there. <laughs> that's, that's what's happening. He's, he's doing it exactly like he was taught in school, which is the problem. <laughs> Someone actually said to me yesterday that they were wondering what excuse Boris was going to pull out next. And I said, one of the things you've learned about Boris is he doesn't pull out. <laughs> hey, two gags in a podcast. I'm done. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, would you have been in Edinburgh at this time of the year? Um, weirdly, this was the year I was actually kind of talking about going because I've, I've, only, I've only been up before as, a, as an ordinary punter and this was the year I was actually going to go up as an act, either take something up or uh, just go for a week and flit around doing spots. So this is the year I was actually going to give it a go. And I'd started doing previews for my show. And I was supposed to be at the Coventry Comedy Festival at the end of March, mm. which obviously didn't happen. <laughs> I thought then, about doing it online. Well, funny enough, well, part of the problem is that the show itself is quite, for someone who doesn't like people, quite interactive. And it's it's called it was called Appetite for Distraction, and it might still be again. You never know. And the idea was to try and get from the starting point to the end point without getting distracted. And if I got distracted, the audience got a got a point. And if I didn't, I won a point. And I did about three or four previews, and I never won. And it was kind of a bit of a cheat as well because it had a big board, big whiteboard, where the set list was written on it, effectively. Just random keywords. That's okay, because you can have that behind your camera. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, but so, but you need that interaction. I don't know. I don't know how it would work on Zoom as to how whether people could butt in and go, "Oh, hang on, you've gone off track again." Or so I, I, was, I was giving people a duck call, so I'd have to mail them the duck call in advance, <laughs> or bring your own kazoo, so you made a funny noise that, and you thought I've gone off track. You could have a speci specially invited audience and you could either use Zoom, but I would probably use something like StreamYard because I'm, I'm thinking of doing stuff on StreamYard. And then, then you, could, uh, you could have them sort of like bring them on as, you could be the host, you control them coming on. So it's like, and like a suggestion from you and you could, you, then you could like switch the camera to them and then they can speak or they can type messages at you so you can bring them up on screen or, or oh. any, have actually anybody watching. If you're doing it yeah. live, I didn't. Have I them... haven't heard of Streamyard. What's the I, I, I mean, I'd got as far as knowing about Zoom. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm. I'm just trying to work out what I'm going to do with it. But um, yeah, I think I might do, do something on Streamyard because. Um... Actually, let's look at that. Because I've done. Because obviously, when everything imploded, the comedy world went shit and all raced online and started doing stuff. And totally, people did it very well. Other people struggled a bit, and I know. Um, the guys I do my um, unsalted popcorn podcast with as we work our way through Doctor Who. Um, and that's Laura Monmouth and John Carruthers. Better give them a name check or they'll sulk. Yeah, those um, people. <laughs> oh, yes. Apparently, they're my friends. I've never met them. Um, they, they both did online gigs and they were kind of hit and miss with it. They weren't sure how it, how it felt. And I've always got off on the energy of the audience in front of me, that very live audience. And I'm not sure I'm comfortable talking at a computer screen. I made a few videos, mm. like little quick five, three, four minute videos. And I did them in one take and then just posted them because I don't tend to dwell on stuff. And I just, I part of it, part of it is that whole scared thing of what if, what if you held a party and no one came? Yeah. I think that's kind of at the back of my mind is if I don't do it, then I haven't failed at it. No, I think, I think you just, you, you could, you could go for it and then you could, or you could like say like, I, well, I need you turn up and, and ask people to just turn up and then it'll build it from there. If you build it, they will come. 
Thank you, Wayne. Um, <laughs> okay, you might have persuaded me. I'll, I'll look into it. I'll look into this, the whole street, the stream yardy thing you kids are doing today. Because how, how you, you, you were saying it's like you were out of action for longer than this was anyway. So how have you coped with everything that's been going on? Well, um, basically, um, well, my husband, he got made redundant. And um, there was a couple of things which he's, he's been able to occupy himself with, which he's been in college work. So he's got his qualifications for his um, carpentry sorted. And he's the moment he's working on his on-site certificates. So cool. he'll be able to go and, and work on that very, very shortly. Yeah. This is all good. I got the, you know, the, the training. So I've, I've been training people on um, via, via Microsoft Teams. Uh, on how to use IT systems and then I've got my editorial stuff so what I, I, I did about this in my podcast the other day I've been basically a business hippo um, cut, getting kind of fat with big fat legs each in different areas where I, where I, where I can get on and um, so are, you, are you straddling four swamps yeah so if one leg buckles I've got another three legs you see yeah. Um, and um, it's been interesting watching people sort of like get quite shouty about what comedians should and shouldn't be doing with their time. I mean, let's yeah. face it, the, we, we're here like the rest of the population, like in a never before seen scenario. And loads of people are, are in trouble and or finding new ways of coping that they didn't previously have to think about it's been a, i think it's i think it's been a challenge to everybody and not everybody will 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 get round to sort of like coping with it at the same rate as others um right. but i happen to know that you know there are this is the thing people will be surprised that if i say there's a somebody who is regularly on tv and she's cropped up in one of my jobs selling it solutions and it's been announced during that that she's changed career because you'll know her, she's famous, and here she is talking about the solution. And it's like, yeah, there's a little, there's an aspect of like some people will will have had to change jobs or or bring new jobs. Mm. So I know some people who've said that that's it now; they they can't see themselves going back to comedy, even though they were, you know, doing pretty well before. But it's like, I love these people saying yeah uh, okay well i need to gig um and all of that a lot of them it wasn't their sole income anyway no i must say i did i was having a massive problem with people acting like it, it was their right and that their rights had been taken away by you know i have to gig i need to gig but mate, we all need to gig either for, because financially that's how we make our money or just because that's our release and that's how one of our coping mechanisms for just getting through life I mean, I, what I've realised is if I don't tell a room full of strangers how I'm fucking up my life, it really starts weighing heavily on me. I've got to tell someone and I can't tell the people closest to me because then they'll know. <laughs> Telling strangers is a lot safer. Um, and I, I did feel like a lot of people, entitlement was at the front of it all. Like how dare this happen to them? And like, we're all in this together. And but, we yeah, all a lot of people to... just pretend they've got no other life going on. They'll they'll admit to maybe having a, a partner, um, or yeah. they'll might they might admit to even having a family, but they won't admit to having a day job. They no, have... This is the weird thing, isn't it? I think because comedy is all smoke and mirrors, and I learned this last year that I started publicising what I was doing more, and friends were saying, "Oh, it's all going really well for you, isn't it?" I said, well, it's all right. It's okay. You know, I wasn't saying breaking new ground, but it's doing all right. Yeah, but you see me gigging everywhere. No, I'm just actually telling people now. And the, and the perception was I was suddenly really busy. And that seemed to fuel something. And I think a lot of people like to tell everyone they're a professional comedian and then keep quiet about the fact that they clock off at three o'clock so they can drive four hours to go and be funny for 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Because you know, I found, because I was um, sort of potted history thing, I was a journalist up in Yorkshire, got made redundant, got a job on a magazine in Colchester, then decided that 
had gone as far as it could go. And just at the time, some freelance work came along, so I became went freelance. So I was a freelance journalist, and that freed up time to write jokes, run gigs, run quizzes, and like, everything kind of fell into balance. And that was fine right until the freelance work dried up. And that happened just before Christmas. Uh, yeah, that was my expression as well. Mm. And I, the week before Christmas, I started off, I started a new career as a teaching assistant in a school. Now, if anyone knows me, I don't have kids. And I don't have kids for a reason. And suddenly I was having to spend all day with 15 to 20 of the little kids. Um, it was very rewarding and I did really enjoy it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And then from out of nowhere, a job back in newspapers came up. So I've gone full circle. I'm back in newspapers just at a time when I then got sent to work back working from home again. Hey, cheers, COVID. Uh, it feels like when all this lifts and we're back out again, when things are starting to get back to normal, I'll basically have gone completely full circle. And I'll be back starting again in comedy while having a full-time job on a newspaper. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how I met you. And then yeah. you were working with, with uh, David Barnett. Yeah. And, and uh, I, had, I, was, I, was, uh, I basically cut my teeth as an editor on his books. He, he kind of like doesn't tell the world about them now. <laughs> yeah, but you, you worked on the good ones. I mean, his, all, all his stuff is good, but his early stuff, it was really good. And you, you helped. You did a good job with that. Without a shadow of a doubt. Because I mean, I know for a fact that working with it is a nightmare. There's <laughs> a guy who's doing well for himself. And the thing is, though, that having that sort of like knowledge of that industry, it, that's, why, that's why I'm all kind of, oh, comedians, get over yourselves. Because writers, very few of them can just write. They all yeah. have other things going on. And, and that's, that is the thing. I, I wish comedy would own up to its own dependence on other incomes sometimes. Yeah, completely. I mean, I happily gave myself the badge of being semi-professional, partly because it seemed like at least I was moving in the right direction, but also because it was true in that I only did paid gigs and I had another job. And actually, I think if you just got rid of the titles, yeah. then people might actually, you know, oh, I'm a professional comedian. Well, in that case, you're doing really well. Well done. But well, that doesn't necessarily mean you're funnier than anyone else. It's just you've got to a point where you're getting paid enough to sit at home during the day in your pants. The rest of us are still having to earn money to, in to ensure, sorry, the dogs and, dogs and cat are about to kick off, to ensure <laughs> we can still pay the bills and pay the petrol to get to go and be funny. You know, so I think, like, yeah, I think you're right. There needs to be a more honest conversation about and the snobbery within the industry about that. Yeah. Because, you know, I've, you've been to my little, my little night in a little pub. It is lovely. It's not, it's not the biggest night you're ever going to do, but it's got a small appreciative audience, and I think we have fun. Yes. But I've had at least one comedian refer to it as an open mic night <gasps> in quite disparaging terms. Now, I had two problems with that. It was one... I paid my acts. Two, I paid my headliner more than I paid anyone else because they were the headliner. Yeah. And I kind of, I didn't pick him up on it at the time. It was a friend of mine and I let it go, but it did niggle for quite a while. Because A, the disparaging tone kind of like, it shouldn't matter if it is just an open mic night. It's still a comedy night. It's not a London open mic night where you get 35 people all doing seven minutes and or trying to get the word rape and fuck into the same gag. Mm -mm. You know, it's curated, booked, the acts are chosen carefully, and I'm hosting it. So it's got structure. It's a proper comedy night. Mm. It just happens to be smaller, more bijou, and lower budget. That's all. And I think there is this whole thing about, oh, you're only an open mic comic. But so was Michael McIntyre. He didn't arrive fully formed live at the Apollo. He had to go through it all. Um, Greg Davis. Uh, you know that moment when your mind goes blank and all the people you respect and know go, suddenly go out your head? Yeah. Uh, just call them all Bob Bobbington. That's yeah, that guy, Bob, Bob Bobbington. Bobbington. The Scouse one, the Welsh one, the guy from the Southwest. Um, those London ones. Uh, the Geordie who now lives in Australia. 
Um, yeah, then I thought he'd come back. Actually, he did because his house got fired. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ross. You know, they all started out there, and I think it's quite demeaning to sort of say, "Oh, we've got only an open mic comic." When people have got to start somewhere and build up, and maybe we could try and lift each other up rather than just trying to stomp on everybody just so you're the last one standing. Here ends the preach. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I appreciate it. <laughs> so, right, as we have now been going for uh, 40 minutes. Ooh, so, you already asked one question. I've only asked, well, <laughs> we're just good at chatting. It's just been a chat. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I've been asking all of my guests if they have, uh, it doesn't have to be a cheesy mantra like live life, love. Uh, live, laugh, love, live, love, laugh, love, anything with L, anything alliterative, it, it could be a normal, do you have an aspirational mantra that you would like to, to share with people? Uh, I really don't because I find them cringy and horrible and while everyone's busy spouting their aspirational mantras I just get on with it, um, if I had one at it all. It could be one, just get on with it. Yeah, if, if, if there was, if there was, Especially because uh, with everything that's been going on in the world this year and a few of the things that have been happening to me, uh, I think the one I would suggest, and it's one I do try and live by, is, actually, you're probably going to get a couple now because you've given me ideas, is let shit go. Is one. and That's the version that Disney didn't go with. Yeah. <laughs> let shit go, let shit go. <laughs> that would have been so much a better song. <laughs> and the other is, if people or a person, if they don't matter to you, then their opinion doesn't matter. Don't get hung up on what strangers think of you. Which I know is an odd thing for a comedian to say, but just really don't. Your friends, the ones who are closest to you, their opinion matters. It's kind of how because you survive, you, isn't it, really, as a, com as a comedian? By sort of yeah. like, you, you, but, by taking a judgment about whether or not if somebody comes back at you with feedback oh, just, <laughs> I've got some feedback nice. for you yeah. do you know, did I ask for it because <laughs> I've just judged what I've just done and I know I, I think you know I, I, basically I've got the audience high-fiving me as I've come off the stage I think I've done alright <laughs> well, yeah. I'm still self-critical but I think I've done alright you can be up with feedback like I've done something wrong what, what <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I must have, I think I've got about at least three or four bodies that have been left in ditches and laybys on the way back from gigs for that. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, my other favourite one. I mean, feel, feel free, listeners, to do this to the next comedian you see and see what response you get. It's all, let me tell you a joke. Like, no, no. You just go and sit in the corner, let the professionals do it, and shut up for half an hour. <laughs> you still have to go, I wonder, is, is it one you've, you've heard on Reddit that my friend wrote and somebody else claimed? Or is it is it is it racist one? It's one of those. Is, that, that is usually who is it? Oh, it actually happened to me at, at, at my gig in Norwich. Um, some guy was hanging around, and he kept talking to us outside. And he basically he he wanted to try stand up comedy. He wanted to give it a go, uh, but he kept heckling every single act, and I had to keep putting him back in his box. Sorry, someone's not looking for a bottle of wine. Seriously, no. no. Um, and I had to sort of, he said to me, "Oh no, heckling is half the fun." It's like, mate, it's really not. Comedy isn't a combat sport. Sit, enjoy, interact if invited. Otherwise, shut up. He said, "Oh, I like it because so, I want to give it a go. I want to get go. I'm not racist or anything." Well done. <laughs> Congratulations. Here is your medal. Oh no, yeah. I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you achieved base level humanity. Well done, my friend. Here, have a headline spot. <laughs> but, yes, that my thing is, let shit go yeah. and don't, don't get hung up on the opinion of strangers because it doesn't matter. Yes, I like those. I like them both very much. <laughs> okay. And... I would like to say thank you very much, Khan, for joining me on the Lemonade Budget for Champagne Social Butterflies. I'll tell you that now because you'll never remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Catchy. I like it. Yeah, but it's unique. <laughs> That's very true. I'm guessing the URL was free. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, it, it comes up as Podbean as something. It won't let you actually change the, the URL. Oh. But that's okay, because I've got my website and that, and I just link it through on that. No, you'll find uh, it. Clever. I said, yeah. Do you know what? I still haven't actually added my podcast to my website. I'm really not good at self-promotion. It has to be said. It's not my strong point. But yes, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for this lovely chat. It's lovely to see you again. <laughs> lovely to uh, have a good old catch-up and a natter. You've been listening to the Lemonade Budget for Champagne Social Butterflies with Donna Scott. Please like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review. I love you. Also check out Donna Scott Comedy on YouTube and my website, donna-scott.co.uk. Music, It Looks Like the Future But It Feels Like the Past by Dr Turtle on Flush Your Rolex EP.